Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast, where it is my duty to explore all things related to living an optimized and fulfilling life. I personally am on the never-ending journey to improve myself and figured why not share my findings and my conversations with as many people as possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there, read my blog, check out some apparel I designed, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Also, I would love to keep this podcast relatively sponsor-free, and to do that, I need your support through Patreon. You can visit the support tab on my website to learn more about that. Your contributions through Patreon will keep the Life Enchanted content flowing and will also help me dedicate more time to expanding the content, i.e. the blog and newsletter and whatnot. But most importantly, a portion of every cent that comes through Patreon and my online store will be donated to Metro World Child. You can find out more about them through my website on that support tab. Also, please consider leaving a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. Today's guest is licensed clinical psychologist, assistant professor, researcher, and published author Dr. Robin Gobin. We talk trauma, self-care, mindfulness-based stress reduction, otherwise known as MBSR, and a lot more. It was a pleasure for me to talk with her, and I am stoked for you guys to hear this one. So without further ado, Dr. Robin Gobin, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Robin, thanks so much for doing this. Yes, thanks for having me. So I thought we could start with trauma because I saw a statistic that 70% of people worldwide have experienced some type of trauma in their life. So what is your definition of trauma? Yeah, so when I think about trauma, I think about any um, event or experience where um, your capacity to cope has been kind of like taxed or or overwhelmed to the point that you um, don't have the resources to cope with that experience. And oftentimes what comes with trauma is a threat to your life. So there's some kind of um, extreme fear or extreme threat to your life where your ability to cope is the, the, the stressor or the trauma kind of like goes beyond your ability to cope. And so there's a lot of um, concerns about whether you're going to lose your life and so there's tons of types of traumas the type of trauma that I um, work with most is um, what I call interpersonal trauma which is a trauma that another person perpetrates towards you so it could be um, a physical assault it could be sexual assault domestic violence um, some kind of kidnapping or torture Um, so that's the type of trauma that I um, deal with most of my clinical practice and in my research and what I find with those types of trauma is that um, there's kind of like this extra layer of um, 
challenge that the survivor has in trying to heal from that because not only were they traumatized and their coping mechanisms were overwhelmed during that experience, but also it was perpetrated by someone who um, often they believed um, was supposed to be able to be trustworthy or Mm. someone who they um, wouldn't expect to to do that to them because oftentimes when we experience interpersonal trauma unfortunately it's um, someone who we know we're familiar with so when we have relationships with people we expect that they are going to look out for our best interests and that they're not going to do us any harm and so what happens with those types of traumas um what we call betrayal trauma is that you know your your trust has been betrayed so it shatters all of your assumptions about how relationships are supposed to work and how the world is supposed to work. And so there's this extra layer of, of healing that has to be done when um, survivors have to kind of try to make sense of what, what happened to me, why did this happen to me and how do I move forward and have healthy relationships? Mm, Yeah. Is there, so, so those are kind of extreme cases of trauma, which I, I totally get. Are there some more subtle cases of trauma that you've seen as well? Like that people, Maybe because I feel like those cases of trauma, people can kind of recognize like this, like when when he beat me or when, you know, whatever happened, I got kidnapped or whatever it is, those things, you know, they those clearly have a bad impact on my life or negative impact on my life. Are there more subtle things that you see as well where people are like, oh, I didn't even think about that, but that is totally impacting the way I view the world. Yeah, I mean, I think experiences that, I mean, unfortunately, those things that I listed are very um, common. They mm-hmm. they may sound extreme, but they're unfortunately um, very common. But some of the ones that we don't talk a lot about are more of the kind of verbal abuse and emotional abuse that sometimes people experience. So kind of always being um, manipulated or being talked down to um, or told that your emotions are out of whack or Um, that you're overreacting that can be uh, certainly kind of be an experience that has Mm. that's abusive and that has an impact on the person um, especially over time if it is continued if they continue to have that experience over and over again Mm -hmm. what what are some ways that you walk your clients through identifying their traumas is it just kind of like hearing their stories or how do you kind of get down to to the the foundation of of what's causing these issues yeah so a lot of times it's just a matter of asking about it a lot of times uh, it's important when you're you know meeting a new client for the first time to get a comprehensive sense of their background and the experiences that they've had and what i find particularly important is sometimes not to call things trauma because a lot of times people are experiencing things that me as a professional would label as traumatic, but they um, don't necessarily um, consider it traumatic or they just don't have the language or um, the understanding of what trauma is to be able to say like, oh, my experience would fit in the category of a trauma. So Mm. uh, what I try to do is just ask more descriptive questions about like, have you ever had an experience where someone, you know, forced you to do something against your will or something you were uncomfortable with um, and things like that so that then um, I can kind of get a sense of the the level of experience that they've had of trauma and then we kind of talk
talk about does that impact you now and how does that show up for you in your day-to-day life? How does it impact your your functioning at work, your um, the way that you think about yourself, um, how you behave in relationships? And then I'm able to get a sense of how it's impacting their life and whether that kind of maps on to some of the symptoms that we commonly see with um post-traumatic stress disorder or other mental health challenges that people face in the aftermath of trauma. So I use a lot of descriptive language and kind of try to stay away from um, terminology, which may not fit for everyone, mm-hmm. um, and then take it from there. What What are some of those common symptoms that you see from, from PTSD? Because I think a lot of people, exp- they, they associate PTSD with just like war, yeah. and they don't realize that they have it. Um, exactly. Yeah. And even I meet with a therapist once a week and he's fantastic. Um, he's been on the podcast before, but, and in a recent session, he said, I think you might have a little PTSD. And I was, Mm, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm non-military and Mm -hmm. haven't, you know, I was raised very well in a loving family, have a wonderful marriage and stuff. So it was just like kind of shocking to hear that. So we're going to dive further deep into that, but I feel like people, they don't, they don't think that they have the capacity to have PTSD because they weren't in these, you know, they weren't in firefights and stuff like that. So what are some common symptoms that you see that kind of signal, oh, this person has some PTSD with their past? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because a lot of times um, we do, I think just because the the news that we get, it typically comes up around um, military and veterans. And so people think that, oh, that's a disorder that's only designated for that population when that couldn't be further from the truth. So anyone who's been exposed to trauma um, could potentially experience and develop PTSD. Although we know that some traumas are um, have more of an increased uh, risk for developing PTSD. Any trauma could could help you develop PTSD. Mm-hmm. But those symptoms that we commonly see with folks who have PTSD include um, one of the big ones is avoidance. So a lot of times people um, who have experienced a trauma avoid um, reminders of the trauma. So for instance, if a, a trauma can be like a car accident. So if I had a car accident and now I avoid riding in cars, so I will go out of my way to ride my bike to work, um, even mm-hmm. when the temperature is 10 degrees outside. Yeah. So I'm willing to kind of go to extreme measures to avoid this trigger or this reminder of that car accident, that would be an example of of um, a PTSD symptom with this kind of severe avoidance mm. um, and also avoiding talking about the trauma. So a lot of times people um, avoid thinking about it, avoid talking about it and avoid going places or interacting with objects that remind them of the trauma. Another um symptom that we commonly see is kind of having uh, what we call intrusive uh, memories or thoughts about the trauma. So uh, during your day, when you're just going along, maybe something um, triggers you and you just have this intrusive memory of the trauma as if it's like happening again. So a very Mm. vivid uh, remembering of what happened to you. And that also can happen um, during sleep, which a lot of people kind of describe as having nightmares, um, either about the specific traumatic experience or the nightmare can be around a theme um, that was related to the trauma. So, for example, a theme of not feeling safe or a theme of, you know, being um, 
in trouble or someone being after you. Um, so that can, and those, those nightmares are kind of really repetitive and very extreme and very intense and cause a lot of distress. Um, Another symptom that we commonly see is this kind of exaggerated startle response. So very kind of feeling on edge and a lot of concern for one's safety. So never really feeling safe, never really feeling okay. And always kind of like monitoring the environment to look for signs that you're not safe or signs of threat or danger. And and then another uh, piece that comes with PTSD is changing the way that you think about yourself or the way that you look at the world. So um, look at, a lot of times people may um, think more negatively about themselves or they may um, start to develop more um, negative attributions about the world. So kind of looking at the world as an unsafe place or a a very unpredictable place, Um, maybe looking at themselves as blameworthy for the trauma. That's a big piece Mm -hmm. with trauma. A lot of times, especially with interpersonal trauma, people are trying to make sense of why did this happen to me? And sometimes the conclusion that they end up drawing is that, well, I must have done something um, that that caused this to happen to me or that made um, me be a target for this trauma and a lot of the work that I do in therapy really is trying to help people understand um, the the importance of um, placing the blame accurately on the perpetrator of the trauma Mm. uh, because that creates a lot of distress when people have convinced themselves that they somehow are to blame or are responsible for the trauma that they experience, which is, um, I would say 99% of the time, not, (laughs) or even a hundred percent of the time, not the case. They, they did not, no matter what they were wearing or what they said or what they did, they still, um, are not to blame for what they've experienced as far as trauma. Mm. There's so much there. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's very helpful, though. And I think that those a a lot of people could probably relate with with a lot of what you said there. What do do you think that it's oftentimes subconscious that people aren't really realizing these effects? Like when they're not talking about it, they're, they're avoiding talking about it because it's almost just this subconscious feeling or power that's not allowing them to they're not they're not even actualizing it or realizing that that's occurring or they're avoiding situations subconsciously or do you think it's more like i'm 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 actively not going to do this because i remember what happened last time yeah, I think it can be a mixture, um, mm-hmm. but I, I know that the body does, the mind remembers trauma and, and holds memories. So sometimes people will talk about like just a not really thinking that they're doing something intentionally, like avoiding something intentionally. Or um, a great example is the anniversary of traumas will come around. Um, So, you know, maybe you got in a car accident a year ago in August, and now August is rolling around and you start to notice that you're more anxious than you typically are. You're starting to have more nightmares. And so that's that in that way, that's more of the subconscious, like the body kind of um, is remembering and, and tracking and, um, and in trying to kind of keep you safe. And so sometimes the that is an unconscious thing that the body just kind of like does automatically, kind of like how we breathe automatically without any intention or effort. Um, so the weird. body sometimes, yeah, like 
just tries to protect you and so mm-hmm. kind of can sometimes consolidate memories or keep things out of your conscious awareness and that really is a survival mechanism so that you can um, go on throughout your life and function through your day so I'm um, mm-hmm. a big thing with sometimes people who've experienced abuse early on in their life maybe in childhood is that sometimes they don't have memories or specific details around what happened to them but as they get older sometimes those memories start to come back to them or they um, start to have experiences or triggers that kind of uh, remind them or give them kind of brief glimpses into what they've experienced since the childhood and then they are able to process that in therapy yeah yeah that that subconscious timing and the body's ability to kind of signal that is is -hmm. crazy and and Mm -hmm. when I was talking with with my therapist that's kind of something that we identified because I've I've been talking with him about midday. I typically get like this feeling like between like 12 and one or like Mm -hmm. one and two, I get this feeling where I'm just more anxious. My body temperature Mm -hmm. increases. I've I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's just weird that it happens Mm -hmm. often. And I've tried messing with my diet. I've tried messing with caffeine intake. I've tried messing with, you know, hydration levels or mm-hmm. whatever it is and he after a year of seeing him he's like man what has happened at this mm-hmm. time in your past mm-hmm. and that's where he started to bring up the PTSD and we've only mm-hmm. kind of scratched the surface and it's like I want we haven't identified anything yet but it's right. like oh hmm that's super interesting mm-hmm. I wonder if there is something there where my body is just kind of telling me like Oh, it's one o'clock. It's two o'clock again. Like this is what happened that one time. Let's prepare mm-hmm. for it. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. The body see. is the human body is amazingly resilient in that way. How it protects us even during traumatic experiences. How it kind of shuts down the unnecessary functions in the body and really kind of gets hyper focused on that fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So this is going to be kind of a loaded question, but but what are some ways? that you've found to be helpful for your patients to overcome some past traumas? And you can speak generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I uh, tend to do a lot of work um, around, uh, first of all, just building um, a sense of safety, building a great relationship. I think early on as a therapist, I kind of thought that – people who've experienced trauma would come to me and just be uh, ready and jumping at the bit to process their trauma. But oftentimes that's not the case. It's really important to uh, develop a, a strong nurturing relationship with them where they can kind of feel safe with me, particularly since I I work with folks who have been harmed by people, maybe in their family or people who they had previous relationships with, Mm -hmm. people who they should have been able to trust or did trust, but that trust was betrayed. So that makes it um, even more important that I um, kind of don't just have this expectation that just because I'm a therapist that they should trust me, um, but that I kind (laughs) of put my time in, if you will, um, to really earn their trust and, and build a a relationship with them mm-hmm. so that then they get to a place where they feel comfortable talking about the details of the trauma that they've experienced and then we can delve deeper into helping them kind of process and talk about the trauma so one of the main things that we do is is kind of like 
in order to um, help heal from the trauma, you have to be willing to um, kind of go through it and talk about it, if mm-hmm. you will, um, and and share the details so that you can um, process it in a different way and store those memories differently. Um, so a lot of that is is talking about the trauma, the details of the trauma, and trying to um, make a different a different a sense of why it happened to you again, like trying to explore some of that shame, some of the blame that people um, have placed on themselves for the trauma, like exploring that and and getting deeper into that and helping them potentially look at that from a different lens or a different perspective. Mm. Um, And then a lot of my work with with trauma survivors is really um, helping them to see that um, they exist beyond their trauma and that they are larger than this traumatic experience that they've had. And so so once we process the trauma and work through it and they've experienced some relief from their symptoms, like now who do you want to be in your life and how do you want to move forward? Mm -hmm. Um, That's really important to me because a lot of times um, trauma survivors, um, rightfully so, like the trauma has just taken up so much of their mental energy because it's a lot um, to manage all of those symptoms that I shared a few moments ago like that mm-hmm. is that takes a lot of mental energy and to try to do just activities of daily living like work or take care of kids um you know take care of a household yeah uh, so once they can kind of unload some of that mental energy from managing the symptoms then it's like okay what do you want your life to be about what is most meaningful to you and how can we kind of build a life that is worth living and that um that allows you to have really constructive and fulfilling relationships again um even though in the past your relationships haven't um been what you deserved Mm -hmm. um so really kind of looking at that kind of broader life perspective like what gives your life meaning and then helping people to build um the life that they that they want for themselves yeah do you try and uh, after they talk through it and whatnot and identify it and process it do you try and have them as part of that whole developing the meaning in the bigger picture and changing the perspective? Do you try and have them label that trauma in a specific way? Like, you know, wear it as a badge or wear it, you know, like a, uh, it's it's a piece of, of my past that shaped my resilience or, or something like that. Do you try and stick a label on it? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a label, but I do want my clients to have um, an understanding that they exist beyond their trauma, that they are not their trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important to me. So if that is a label, then yeah, I want them to know that and kind of carry that around with them that I am larger than this one experience that I have had. And this one experience does not define me. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's a part of my story and it's a part of my history and it's something that um, will never go away. Like, unfortunately, they can never kind of go back to the person that they were before the trauma happened because they'll always have um, that memory with them that I think forever changes them and that experience that um, will forever be with them um, but that doesn't mean that they can't um, experience happiness joy and fulfillment again um, yeah. and kind of you and, and try to understand like how did experiencing this trauma kind of affect me um, in ways that 
made me maybe stronger or helped me to kind of see capabilities that I didn't think that I had before um, and how can they kind of, for lack of a better word, like turn lemon into lemonade mm. um, and, and kind of like allow the trauma to work for them in their lives. And again, the main piece is just not having the trauma take up so much of their mental energy and their time mm-hmm. um, so that they really um, are enjoying the life that they have and finding meaning and purpose in their life yeah yeah i i read that uh mbsr mindfulness-based stress reduction is part of your practice yes what exactly is that because i i'm somewhat familiar with it but i'm sure Mm -hmm. numerous people aren't but what exactly is mbsr yes so mindfulness-based stress reduction uh was is a um intervention that was developed by um, John Kabat-Zinn in Massachusetts, and it really was developed at the start for um, folks in medical facilities who had um, pain, um, and they were having difficulties managing um, that pain. So it really is an intervention that uses mindfulness and the practice of meditation, which commonly is is just being in the present moment. Often we connect to the present moment by um, connecting to the physical sensations of the body as it breathes. So mm-hmm. that's what we're doing when we're practicing meditation is observing the breath, uh, becoming aware of the breath. Um, and But it's not just a concentration practice. It is kind of focusing on one thing. So it helps you to narrow in on that. But it's also a particular quality that you pay attention with so in addition to being in the present moment and paying attention to one thing at a time you're doing it first of all non-judgmentally Mm-hmm. So you're not um, necessarily labeling your experience as good or bad um, or judging yourself if your mind wanders during your practice, but rather you are um, accepting what happens in each moment and and in being very curious about what is showing up in each moment as you're sitting there um, paying attention to your breath and really tuning into those physical um, sensations of your breath. So it's a practice of learning how to use mindfulness and meditation to better manage stress in your life. Mm. And so during um, the the curriculum of the uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Again, you learn meditation, you learn mindfulness, but you also learn um, some mindful movement. So a light version of yoga. Um, mm. So to learn how to be in the body, because a lot of times we we are, of course, in our bodies all the time, but we rarely are intentionally in our bodies and it's intentionally paying um, attention to what our body feels like. Um, and so it helps us to um, get familiar with our bodies so that when we're in stressful situations, we don't miss those initial indicators that we're having a stress response. Mm. Uh, because a lot of times we don't notice that until we have a blistering headache or until, you know, our our brain has gone numb or something like that. But if you can catch those initial signs for some people, that's like those butterflies in your stomach. For other people, it's my face is getting really hot or it's turning red um and if you can kind of notice that then maybe you can intervene earlier in the stress um response cycle so that you can catch that stress and um respond to it differently and so one of the main takeaways with mindfulness-based stress reduction is helping people to learn how to be more intentional about how they relate to their stress rather than reactive habitually 
without really thinking it through. Mm. Because a lot of times when we react out of habit, we um, engage in behaviors that sometimes make our stress worse or exacerbate the pain that we're experiencing in the stressful situation. So it's about how not to exacerbate that um, that experience. But give yourself what you need and be kind and compassionate to yourself and also um, not get caught up in. Uh, a narrative about the stress so a lot of times when a stressor starts to arise we kind of come up with we interpret it in a certain way and we come up with the whole story about how it's going to turn out Mm -hmm. and usually that's the worst case scenario and we get caught up in that worst case scenario which makes the stressful experience much more unpleasant for us and so mindfulness gives you that opportunity to take a step back and really kind of ground yourself in your body in your breath and in kind of recognize what your brain is giving you and and acknowledge that although your brain is giving you this fantastical story about the worst case scenario that you don't have to necessarily buy that story you don't have to attach to that mm. it's kind of like a car salesman trying to sell you you know a, a lemon that's a car that's no good you you can listen to that car salesman and then you can choose to not buy that car and yep. so i try to teach my clients the same thing with the thoughts that their brain gives them or the stories that their mind a possibility but you get to choose whether you want to act as if that thought is true and follow through with that thought or whether you want to kind of create a new narrative around your stress Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you man i could relate with so much of that um so when when these people are having and when we have these these stressful instances come up and we start to feel you know our body temperature rise our face get red or you know um start to get angry or nervous or Mm -hmm. anxious or whatever it is and those narratives start running of the worst case scenario so identifying thoughts as just thoughts and kind of reworking the narrative do you also recommend like just focusing on the breath or getting i mean how because those narratives Absolutely. are so powerful and they're so yes, consuming they <laughs> that it's it's very like the the prescription is is easy to digest but it's mm-hmm. hard to apply oh yes Yes, that's what we say with my, in mindfulness circles. It's simple but not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because the breath is always there, and you know it sounds very simple just to breathe. But when you're in the mess that you um, so eloquently stated it is hard when you're in the midst of that to really kind of connect with the breath but yes that is definitely something that we um talk about is how do you just take a moment out and just intentionally pause and connect with your breath because once you um take yourself out of your brain and drop down into your body that just creates space for you like that Mm. creates a moment of freedom it creates calmness it actually your breath is a built-in um a a mechanism for you to calm down it actually has physiological impacts on Mm -hmm. your brain so that it starts to kick in your parasympathetic nervous system which is the system that brings you back down to your baseline area of functioning so it brings your breath to a a calmer pace where you're no longer engaging in like shallow breathing or hyperventilating Mm -hmm. but it, it brings that down and it helps you know just to cool you down and bring you to a place where you can look at the stressful situation from a more level-headed perspective mm-hmm. and again engage in more intentional and thoughtful ways of responding to the stressor so definitely i encourage people to connect with their breath 
And really, I think with mindfulness helps you to see, too, is what's really going on now. Because when we get caught up in the stories, we start to respond as if the story is happening. But like mm-hmm. if, if, if we can disconnect and say, wait, like what really is happening right now in this moment? Yes, yes. <laughs> so what really is happening right now in this moment is I'm anticipating what's going to happen. But if I can respond to what's real and true right now in this moment, then that has a totally different impact on my mood and on how I behave yes. um, in response to this stressor. Yeah. Yeah. You said focusing on what is real and true. And that that is so important because mm-hmm. the the old cliche is the truth will set you free. Right? Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. the opposite of that is that lies will keep you captive. So in these exactly. moments where we have all of this stress coming in and we're starting to fabricate these false narratives that are very extreme and Mm -hmm. are really hindering our ability to perform or communicate or whatever it is those these are lies and that Mm -hmm. cliche says that those lies are going to keep us captive and Mm -hmm. if we can start to identify those narratives as lies and then focus on the breath kind of be able to get your focus back on what is true and real in the moment then that is freedom the truth will set you free start thinking about what's true and be free from that false narrative that's going to take you down the rabbit hole of doom (laughs) exactly exactly and another piece with with mindfulness too that is really important is that non-judgmental piece like you know in your your experience like kind of having this general acceptance of of what will be right now so if i'm feeling sad uh mindfulness would invite me to kind of become curious about that sadness like Mm. where do i feel that in my body and what is this sadness coming to teach me because a lot of times we um have you know categorized emotions as either positive or negative and we want all the positive ones and we never want to experience the ones that we've labeled as negative but all emotions kind of have their role and and they are teachers they come to teach us or alert us to something that needs attention in our lives or in our bodies and so mindfulness invites us not to push away our experience or to try to change it or try to make it be anything other than what it is and so it cultivates this um, attitude of acceptance of our experience knowing that um, our experience is different from moment to moment and it will change from moment to moment so I don't have to if I recognize that sadness is here right now and that's what I'm experiencing I can actually um, approach that sadness in a gentle way rather than harshly pushing it away or trying mm. to um, make it different or make myself happy but I can kind of explore what this sadness is is showing me or what it has to teach me and knowing that it's not going to um, last forever so change is, is, is constantly happening in our experience um, it's changing from moment to moment and so I can be okay and accept that yes I'm feeling sad right now but that doesn't mean I'm going to feel sad an hour from now I don't know maybe I will but maybe i won't and Mm -hmm. i'll just be open to whatever um this experience has to show me and and be willing to be teachable 
Mm-hmm. So a huge piece of it is not judging your experience and not trying to modify your experience to make it different. Cause that's another way that we, we turn pain into suffering. So we already have the emotional pain of sadness, which it doesn't necessarily feel good to be sad. Um, but when we try to stuff the sadness or when we try to ignore the sadness or when we try to make it be different, then that's where we can exacerbate that pain and turn it into suffering. Mm. So that non-judgmental piece, that's that's what really that comes down to is not when you feel those feelings, it's not like, man, why am I sad? I'm Stop mm-hmm. being sad, man. Why yep. are you sad? This isn't a situation mm-hmm. to be sad. That is not the mm-hmm. way to go about it. It's more so, exactly. okay, I'm feeling sad right now and just being curious about it. Yeah, being curious. Okay, so where did the sadness arise from? Like, where where am I? First of all, just like, where am I noticing it in my body? How do I know that I'm sad? What does this feel like? Mm. Um, and then just exploring that, like, and it'll look different for everyone. So maybe my heart, I have a little heartache or, or maybe this sadness is arising from a thought, a memory, like maybe, um, you know, yesterday I became aware of, um, someone who passed away. And of course that, you know, that is going to bring about sadness. And, Mm -hmm. and can I allow that, that sadness to do its work to remind me of the, the fact that I care very deeply for this person that passed away? Yeah. And and so it makes sense that I would feel sad. So a huge piece of when those emotions come is trying to kind of recognize that typically our emotions make sense. If we kind of can look at um, where they're arising from, what, mm. what the trigger is, it, they make sense. And so in that way, we don't have to feel this pressure to get rid of them or make them anything different than what they are, but allow itself to work through Um whatever that emotion is and then kind of gain the wisdom from that. So like if I let myself work through the sadness of becoming aware of someone that I care for being um, no longer here on earth with us, like then maybe I can come to um, a sense of, of gratitude for the time that I did share with that person. Um, mm-hmm. And then I can feel good about having allowed myself to experience that sadness because it was warranted um sadness shows me that i actually care and in the same way when we feel anxious about certain things or um feel fearful about certain things sometimes that anxiety um comes because we care like Mm -hmm. so if i have to give a talk um somewhere at a conference like of course i feel anxious before but that is just showing me that i Fine. This is an important thing for me to do. I want to do well at this. And so I don't have to try to not be anxious. But what I can do is respond to the anxiety by practicing, you know, my talk, thinking through what I want to say, um, and then allowing that to kind of propel me into um, doing a good job. Mm. And so not seeing our, I think the message is not seeing our emotions as enemies, but seeing them as messengers and um, Mm. as opportunities to get to know ourselves on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I'm, I just read a book by, are you familiar with Richard Rohr? No, I'm not. He's, um, you would really appreciate him because I know you're a believer as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And Richard Rohr is a Franciscan monk who has this 
nonprofit in Albuquerque, New Mexico called uh, the Center of Action and Contemplation. He's oh. he's super super wise. Um, he's been on like Oprah's podcast, and he's he's very legit. And I highly recommend um, looking into it. Just hearing you know your experience and your your profession and and your practice and whatnot, you would really dig him. But I just read a book called Everything Belongs um, by him. He's a Christian mystic, is what he is. Um, mm. And he had a quote in there that. I was thinking about as you were talking that said don't overcome your anxiety until you've learned what it's trying to teach you and I just mm, you know it's like mm-hmm. that it, it's it's I mean that whole time you were talking as as well it's like everything you were saying is truth like of, yep. of course you're going to be sad because someone died that's truth of course you're mm-hmm. going to be anxious because you know you you have this big talk that's that's truth you want to perform mm-hmm. well for these people these are all mm-hmm. true things um mm-hmm. yeah so i definitely che- recommend checking him out his last name or yeah his last name is spelled r-o-h-r and he has a wonderful podcast out that's that's 13 episodes that goes through his new book um but he's legit oh awesome yeah no, look that up he sounds amazing um is there kind of a minimum effective dose that you prescribe to your clients as far as like mindfulness like do you recommend like you need to do 15 minutes every day in the morning, 20 minutes, you know, twice a day, whatever it is. Is there kind of a minimum effective dose that you've seen? Yeah, the the thing that I've found is that, you know, with mindfulness, people have to find what works for them. So that's really what I encourage. The thing that I um, really focus on is consistency. So whether it's five minutes or 20 minutes a day. I just, I just recommend consistency. So if Mm. you can find some time every day to just sit and, and be with the breath and, you know, calm your mind, drop out of your mind, drop into your body. Um, that kind of builds muscle. I kind of likened it to if you're working out and trying to build muscle, like you have to do it consistently, um, to see the benefit over time. And so, cause a lot of times people will say, well, when I sit, my mind just wanders or my mind won't be still, but that's actually, if you're aware of that, Mm -hmm. you're actually being mindful. (laughs) Like you, it's a bicep curve. It's not about, yeah, so it's not about um, how still you can get your mind or um, how how um, perfectly still you can sit, but rather it's about are you paying attention? Are you awake right now? Are you noticing what's happening mm-hmm. in this moment? And so the, the consistency really pays off because what people find is that if they get themselves into a habit of finding some time every day to do this, it becomes... Um, they start to find that they are spending more time sitting, um, being able to pay attention to the breath and, and less time with their mind wandering because they've kind of started to make this a habit and um, get their body and their, their mind in the, in the practice of, 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 of meditating and of being mindful. Mm-hmm. And so then what you find then is with that consistency, not only um, are your experiences of, of meditating um, more uh, fruitful as far as you finding that you're more and more mindful, 
powerful during those sits. But then you start to find that when you're not sitting um, just in your life, that mindfulness kind of is more accessible to you because you've developed it as kind mm. of like a habit. You've cultivated that um, process of dropping into your body, uh, connecting with your breath. Um, and so you're able to more so kind of notice when your mind is kind of giving you these thoughts or trying to give you a narrative and you're um, noticing that you're more um, intentional about the way that you're responding to that narrative. Yes, that's very well put. I think Mm -hmm. that with this wave of mindfulness and meditation and all these apps and covers of magazines, and it's a huge talking point right now that people dive into it expecting some like transcendent experience that, Mm -hmm. you know, is almost like psychedelic and just automatically (laughs) just transforms their, their mind. But like you said, and, and I use that as analogy as well, it's it's an exercise just like a bicep curl, just like squats, just mm-hmm. like whatever it is that you're just training your brain mm-hmm. as a muscle mm-hmm. to be able to have that ability to mm-hmm. see things in that way. And the more you yep. do it, the stronger it's going to get like exactly. any other ep- ex- exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, you just released a book called The Self-Care Prescription Subtitle Powerful Solutions to Manage Stress, Reduce Anxiety, and Increase Well-Being. And I saw it's doing awesome on Amazon. So congrats uh, Thank on you. that. What, without giving away your secret sauce in that book, <laughs> um, what are some practical and simple self-care techniques that people can start to integrate into their lives that you think will have a significant impact? Yeah, well, we just talked about one of the huge ones, the Mm -hmm. mindfulness practice, right? And so I think what goes along with that is just starting to um, create healthy habits for yourself. Um, So cultivating um, time throughout your day where you are checking in with yourself and really getting to know yourself. I think self-care is really about knowing what you need, (laughs) that, 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 requires that you know yourself and that you check in with yourself so uh, a huge piece of a self-care routine is is coming up with a regular interval where you check in with yourself whether that's like once weekly you check in with yourself and see like how am I doing like Mm -hmm. really like not you know the elevator (laughs) speech that we give people when they ask how we're doing out of public and we just say fine but like how am I really doing like emotionally um, physically socially in my relationship relationships how what what am I in need of and then the second part of of knowing what you need is then having the courage and the willingness to give yourself what you most need and and recognizing that your needs will change throughout different phases of your life and as you kind of grow and um, develop and so being willing to check in with yourself so if you set aside that habit and make it a habit of of checking in and saying what do I need and and being willing to give yourself what you need that's what's most important and I think another piece that relates to that is is really giving yourself the things that will promote long-term health and happiness so a lot of times we um, for lack of a better word pacify ourselves sometimes by indulging in you know things that make us feel good in the moment Mm -hmm. but are not necessarily good for us in the long term so self-care is not the same thing as overindulgence or you know just you know eating a whole tub of ice cream Mm because I feel sad but it's more about okay like what do I need in this moment maybe I need to sleep so maybe self-care looks like 
you know, I got invited to this really cool event or party, but I haven't slept well all week. So self-care looks like turning that invitation down, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, And so self-care doesn't always feel good. (laughs) Like sometimes self-care is just saying no or self-care is asking for help when we value our independence and we you know have this belief that we should be able to handle everything that we have on our plate by ourselves sometimes it's being willing to say like i know i need help and asking for that help and accepting the help so so i think the habit of checking in with yourself seeing what you need but then also being willing to give yourself those things that you need and so the book um, is really unique in that it looks at six different domains of health and how you can take care of yourself better in those six different domains so there's um, social self-care which is all about your relationships both romantic family friendships mm-hmm. and I'm looking at how how can you enhance those? How can you make them more fulfilling? Um, how can you be the type of partner, the type of friend that you want to be? Um, then there's physical, which is all about movement, um, eating. Um, are you giving yourself the nurturance and the things that you need to be able to be um here and be healthy and feel good in your body Mm -hmm. um then there's emotional self-care which is really all about mental health and how we relate to our emotions um there's mental self-care which is more about um keeping our minds sharp and really um giving our minds extra um substance so that they can stay sharp a lot of times um people start to notice as we age that our memories start to go or that um, we're less um, engaged in that way. So really um, keeping your brain up to, up to par and and challenging it. Um, And then there's the um, spiritual self-care, which I talk about a lot in the book, which is really all about um, how to nurture your spirit. First of all, is acknowledging and recognizing that you exist beyond the physical. And so knowing that, what are some of those soul longings that you have and how can you give yourself what you need on a more spiritual level? Mm. Um, and then the last domain is vocational. And so that's about your job, the work that you do um, in your life, the career that you have, and how do you take care of yourself um, in the midst of all of the demands that maybe your career places on you. And another piece with the vocational is also sometimes people find themselves in um, work situations that are less than optimal. Maybe you're at a job that you feel like like is not really aligned with your purpose or um, you're in a job that um, doesn't really align with your values. Maybe, you know, you're being asked to do things that you just don't feel are right, but you're have this dilemma because you need the job to be able to live and to pay your rent and mm-hmm. to eat. And so how do you kind of make sense of that? And how do you, um, how do you cope in that situation and kind of take care of yourself despite um, your work situation not being optimal. So those are the six domains of self-care and there's tons of, of activities. And I did it that way so that everyone hopefully in the world could pick up this book and find at least one thing that fits for them, one activity that fits for them. So um, maybe everything doesn't jive for you, but there's tons of um, activities, tons of questions to ask yourself and also tons of strategies for you to try on and um, really see how it works for you in your life. And the way that I've set it up is that it's really for you to create your own unique self-care prescription that's going to fit for your 
life, for your demands that mm. you have. Um, and so in that way, it's more sustainable because it's, it's definitely not a one size fit all model. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so much good stuff there. And, and just going back towards the beginning of that, the whole like checking in with yourself and knowing yourself. Um, I recently recorded, I haven't released it yet, but I ask me anything episode, um, mm-hmm. where I, I took questions from, from listeners and whatnot. And one of the questions was what, what's one of the best pieces of advice that, that I've received. And I said, I could give so many different responses to that because I love quotes. I'm a quotes guy and I've, I've mm-hmm. had awesome conversations, but just like a very blanket piece of advice, um, is the old Greek aphorism, know thyself. Mm, and being mm-hmm. able to just to know thyself and being able to, like you said, take those those six domains and customize them. There's, there's no one size fits all, but know yourself, customize what you need to mm-hmm. what you've identified in a real mm-hmm. and truthful way. Don't try and fabricate something. Don't try and tell yourself you're something that you're not. It's okay to have goals and whatnot, but be real with yourself and, and what you need emotionally and spiritually and physically and socially and mentally and vocationally and and pursue those things with mm-hmm. with all your might. And exactly. I mean, it's almost, it's not selfish if because it's going to enhance your relationships it's going to enhance your life and you're going to be a better person it's you you have to have the courage to just take it on and and go full force that direction definitely Um, and it will require i think another piece that relates to that i love how you just put that um is that it will require you to prioritize so we mm -hmm. can't be all things to all people and we can't do all the things even though like our society will try to um encourage us to do all the things and to be perfect in every um area of our lives Mm -hmm. you can't um do it all and so that requires you to choose priorities which i um still am working on like how to prioritize things so that i'm not you know burnt out or not doing um too much in one area but totally neglecting another area of my life so it's really important to um create priorities and that goes back to that quote you shared is knowing thyself and really knowing okay what's most important to me in this moment and um and then being willing to um maybe let go of some other things in the service of like your health and wellness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what so we're both believers um mm-hmm. how do you nurture your spiritual needs yes so for me uh it looks like daily um meditation and prayer really connecting with myself um connecting with god it looks like reading my bible every day Mm -hmm. um whether it's you know a day that i'm you know sitting out um actually writing in my journal my prayer journal Mm -hmm. or whether it's actually um just opening up the Bible app on my phone and looking at the verse of the day, like different days call for different things, but Mm -hmm. really connecting with the word, connecting with God in prayer. Um, And then um, also worship music. I love listening to um, worship music and, um, and that just really uplifts my spirit in a way that um, nothing else really can. And I find listening to worship music, but then also 
releasing the all of the questions that I have, the challenges that I have, the uncertainties, the anxieties to God in prayer um, really just gives a freedom and a peace that um, nothing else really can give. So that is really important for me with regard to um, nurturing my spirit, um, as well as I said, meditation, which helps me to kind of um, get grounded in who I am and what's important to me and um, and then really know myself so that I can give myself the things that I need. Mm-hmm. You you spoke pretty much my my exact experience as well mm-hmm. with nurturing my spiritual yeah. needs. I mean, I'm huge with with mindfulness and meditation and and with the Bible app and I have a prayer journal as well where uh-huh. where I will write out prayers and I oftentimes as many of my listeners know will be in my daughter's room with my Bose headphones on just jamming out to some worship music and yes. just the, I mean the the feeling that I get from it music connects to most people in a very profound way like the mm-hmm. the sense of nostalgia it can bring up and memories and just just the power that it has is is pretty ineffable and i feel Mm -hmm. like that is part of when i'm in there and i've shared this before but when i'm in my daughter's room when i have my headphones on when i'm listening to a jam that i really connect with and that is really Mm -hmm. speaking truth the the i get these feelings of chills and euphoria and excitement and i feel like Mm -hmm. that's the holy spirit (laughs) within me just like yes this is good this is right this is Mm -hmm. you know your true and proper worship as the bible says and oh yeah um yeah, it's powerful. It's super powerful. I love that. Yeah, uh, so definitely. I, I have some rapid fire questions for you just to wrap it up, if that's all right. Okay. Um, yeah. But if, if you could tweet one thing and it was guaranteed to be seen by the entire world, what would it say? Yes. Oh, I've been thinking about this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a big one. Know thyself. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be a big one. Know thyself. Uh, but maybe what I would say with regard to self-care is self-care is not selfish. <laughs> mm, good. Yeah. Yes, that's good. Uh, I'm a high school technology teacher and I, I try mm-hmm. my best to integrate real life and real world concepts and into my curriculum that are not really... Um, involved with technology at all, just so I can help my students be better prepared for life. What do you think are some things I should be communicating to the youth to help better prepare them? For their... Just for life in general, just for happiness Mm -hmm. and well-being. And this could just be one thing, two things, whatever, whatever you think. What do you think I should be doing as a teacher to help better prepare our youth to, to just have a better life? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, fostering um, creativity and individuality, I think Mm. a lot of times, if I think back to high school and college, a lot of um, what I was thinking, how the world works was that there were certain like formulas or just very rigid pathways that I had to go down in order to be a successful adult. And Mm -hmm. so I find that there are many, um, pathways to success and that you don't have to do what all of your other peers are doing in order to be successful. So to really kind of, again, along that line of knowing yourself, um, being okay with being different and, Mm -hmm. and having unique interest in, and knowing that, um, 
there are various ways or various pathways to get to the same destination and that you don't always have to um, do what everyone else is doing or feel um, stifled by um, just one particular career path that maybe a professor is pushing on you or a teacher is telling you you're good at. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be good at things, but not love them. Um, And to, and to really pursue what's going to make you happy because life is short. That's right. That's right. So good. Um, All right. So three books and why, what are three books from any genre um, other than your own? Because everyone's already going to buy that (laughs) book that you would recommend to someone and why? (laughs) Yes. So the first book that I would recommend, this is one that I read a a couple of years ago, I guess now that just really lit a fire under me is um, by uh, Jen Cicero, You Are a Badass. Mm -hmm. And so excuse, excuse for the language. (laughs) My wife has that in her her nightstand right now. (laughs) It is amazing. So it just really speaks to... um, just how much you are capable of doing in your life and not putting limits on yourself um, and really looking at yourself from a perspective of um, you being capable, you being worthy of um, all of the dreams and all of the aspirations that you have for your life. So I love that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is, I guess, a second one that I would recommend is by um, Priscilla Schreier and it's called Breathe. And that one is huge because it's um, all about how to create margin in our lives. And so I think we definitely need this one as a society because we're always being reinforced for accomplishing and and getting things done and being productive. But it is from a biblical perspective and it talks about Mm. how, um, you know, Jesus, when he was here, observed the Sabbath and he um, did not, he took rest from his work um, and how it's so important for us to do that um, presently so that we can be refreshed and recharged and um, rejuvenated to be able to um, fully walk into the purpose that God has for us and that we don't have to kind of get sucked up in this mindset that I have to be um, just going, going, going all the time. Mm. Um, So that's really important. I guess the third one, like I would say is... um, the Bible, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I mean, there's so many gems um, yes. in, in the Bible and so many, I think, things that speak to um, so many, every situation that you can find yourself in in life. I think there's just something so profound about knowing that um, when Jesus was here on earth, he was tempted in every way. He is able to um, sympathize with everything that we've experienced. And so Mm -hmm. opening up the Bible, seeing those truths and really believing that and and getting your faith restored in that way by reading those truths and really believing that and speaking those, those verses over your life and over your situations that you find yourself in i think so that is a endless fountain of gems that Mm -hmm. i would that i would say so good amen Mm -hmm. robin thank you so much for doing this this was wonderful i can't wait to read your book and keep following you on social media and stuff Where, where can people find you online 
Yes. So I am on Instagram at Dr. Robin Gobin. I'm also on Facebook, the same name, Dr. Robin Gobin. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, same thing, Dr. Robin <laughs> Gobin. Um, and then I, my website is another place that people can reach out to me. It's www.robingobin.com. If people want to grab my book, The Self-Care Prescription, it's currently available on Amazon. And if you want to know more about the book, um, there's a website for the book as well www.selfcareprescriptions with the sfn.com um so that is great and then one last thing i will Mm -hmm. be in atlanta so for people who live in atlanta who are listening i will be there um for a book signing event and a free um mental health slash self-care workshop Mm. um and that's going to be on saturday september 28th um at the boulder crest church of christ it's going to be from a nine a.m. to noon. Um, again, that's Saturday, September 28th. So I will um, send you information about that so you can feel free to share it. I'll cool. post it all over my um, social media too as the time gets closer. It'll be an event that you'll have to RSVP for through Eventbrite, but again, it'll be free. Um, so that's the way that people, if they have their book, they want to come um, hear me talk about it in more detail and also get their book signed. Uh, that's an opportunity to be aware of. Awesome. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well. Thank you again, Robin. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a treat. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. Also, a big thanks to the good people at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation and float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and the experience is transformative to say the least. And for listeners of this podcast, they are offering an exclusive deal of 40% off the normal price for a single float. Just go to CapitalFloats.com and use the promo code life enchanted with no spaces at checkout if you're in northern california you definitely want to take advantage of this please remember that i am not a doctor so definitely consult your physician before making any sudden diet supplement or lifestyle changes suggested in any of these episodes if you're interested in connecting with me you can send an email to nick n-i-c-k at mylifeenchanted.com or you can find me on instagram at mylifeenchanted peace